Well, I'm so glad you made it today. You are the brave. Made it in an ice storm. Awesome. Thank you. And it's good to be back. I have been uh, off for four weeks, finally back and uh, excited to be here. And uh, the team just did a fabulous job while I was gone. I couldn't have been more pleased. And last week, the, the youth department, they kicked it out of the park. The worship was phenomenal. Pastor Jake in the morning and then Daniel in the evening with the healing service. They just did great. Uh, you notice next weekend, Perry's going to be here and we've asked him to speak on a couple specific subjects. He's going to talk about effectively reaching your family. He's going to talk about standing against the enemy and every single service will be different. So each morning will be different, and the evening, of course, as it always is, is a different service. So as many of those as you can make, it would be great. Business lunch on Tuesday, Bob Vanderpool, who is the uh, director at uh, Pine Rest, is going to be talking about it's lonely at the top. And about talk about leadership and how to effectively uh, connect with others. It's going to be a great, great message. But today, I have been sitting on this for a long time, I want to talk to you about soul prosperity or how to manage your soul. In 3 John verse 2, it says, the, the King James says, I wish above all things, the New King James says, I pray above all things that you would prosper, that you would be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, there's really no victory there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no contentment. Your, your life goes the way your soul goes. And when your, your soul is prospering, your life will prosper. But when your soul is not, then the rest of your life is not going to prosper. Even though things may appear to be good on the outside. How many of you realize that if you owned a factory, had a thousand employees, and a net worth of a half a billion dollars, but your kids hate you, and you're in the middle of a divorce, how many of you know you're a mess? It, it, it doesn't really matter how much money you have, how much influence you have, see? Because your soul is not prospering in, in, in the area of your family. Uh, your life is a wreck. Although it may look to people like things are, are wonderful. David said this, Psalms 43, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? He noticed his soul is cast down. He said, you're disquieted. Things are not right in his soul. And then he mentions, well, he's talking to himself. How many know we all have self-talk? And it's, a really, it's really one of the ways you can tell how your soul is doing. But he said, hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, literally what he was doing, he was focusing on the wrong things. And because he was focusing on the wrong things. He was having trouble in his soul. But I want to talk to you today about soul health, about soul focus, about how to feed your soul, how to care for your soul, how your soul needs to sow, and how to bring restoration, how to restore your soul. The fact is when the devil targets you, he targets your soul. And he will try to blow things up 
Of course, there, there's sin, but there's problems. There's your past. There's guilt. There's failure. There's rejection. There's hurt from what other people say and do. You know, the giants, the mountains that are in front of us. But we cannot have victory in our life beyond the prosperity of our soul. In Proverbs, it says this, chapter 25. It says, whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Now, he's saying what's on the inside is comparable to something that's on the outside. In fact, what's going on on the inside of you is more important than what's going on on the outside of you. Now, I, I, I thought about this and noticed this a, a while back. When I thought about seminary and Bible college, what they teach us when we go is they teach you how to study the Bible. They teach you how to preach. They teach you how to interpret the Bible. They teach you how to do some counseling and they teach you some people skills and they teach you some leadership skills. But you know what every one of those are? Every one of those are focused on the outside. They're outside things. But the truth is they focus you to do the ministry, but they don't focus you to survive ministry. And a lot of us, we know how to live life, but we don't know how to survive the problems and the difficulties that arise in our life because we've got some skills, but all those skills are what we do on the outside. But what we need is we need effective skills for our soul on the inside because ultimately your life will never go beyond the, how your soul is prospering. So in Psalms 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. The wear and tear of life means that your soul is going to get hit and it's going to get beat up and it's going to get knocked down from time to time. And you need to have your soul restored because if you don't, you're going to stay beat up. You're, you're going to stay knocked down. We need to be, have our soul restored. He says, it, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You're with me. You ride your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now listen, what, 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 what good that you do in your life comes when your soul, the cup of your soul is full and it's overflowing. Ministry is not something you do. Ministry is something that overflows. It's because, it's because you're, you're full. Your soul is healthy. Your soul is full. And as a result, there's, it's just bubbling over. He says, you know, my cup, it runs over. And he says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, notice he said he restores my soul. But look at what he was said in Psalms 23. He was surviving evil and fear and going through the valley of the shadow of death. He was in the presence of his enemies and our strength to come through the difficulties of life. And when life knocks you down and when the wear and tear of life comes, the strength that we need comes from the inside. It's the inner skills. It's having a healthy soul. Beloved, I pray above all things you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The health of your marriage depends on your soul prospering. The health of your relationships depends on your soul prospering. What's going on on the inside of you? How many of you know we all talk to ourselves on the inside? 
That's a real good way to find out how your soul is prospering. Because when you're telling yourself, I'm a jerk, I'm an idiot, I shouldn't have done that, I'm a failure. You know what? It's because your soul isn't prospering. That's where, that's where all that comes from. That comes from your soul. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, May now the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless through the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, your soul is, first of all, your mind. We say it this way. It's your thoughts. It's what you're thinking. Secondly, your soul is your will. It's your decision maker. It's what you do. And thirdly, your soul is your emotions. It's your feelings. Right? Those three things. And, and your soul has hinge points. There are things that we need to do for our soul. But the first thing I want to mention here is no one is responsible for the decisions of your soul but you. Your, your mama cannot carry you through. Your spouse cannot carry you through. Your pastor cannot carry you through. You are responsible for the decisions, the direction that your life goes. In Psalms 116, David said, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I read one scholar who mentioned that this was actually written by David when his son Absalom was chasing him and trying to kill him. That was not a good day for David. He, he was literally, he ran out of the palace, ran out of Jerusalem, crossed over and was on his way towards the Judean desert because his son is trying to kill him. He's got 3,000 men with him. His son has got literally the entire nation with him. And David begins to recount. He begins to look back at his life. And he looks at how God has delivered him. But he's beginning to talk to himself. That, that, that talk that your soul speaks on the inside. And no one is responsible for what's going on in your soul except you. In Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, one of the things that we need to do is we need to cultivate our souls so that we have a, I want to say this, a thankful soul. Sir John Templeton said, if you've got a billion dollars and you're ungrateful, you're still poor. But if you have very little and you're grateful for what you have, you're truly rich. I believe that that is true. So often what happens is we're just not grateful for the things that we do have. But when we're grateful, we become rich. I was reading a book by Mark Batterson a while back, and he made this statement. He said, our greatest shortcoming is not our bad feelings about what we've done wrong. But our greatest shortcoming is our lack of gratitude for all the things that God has done for us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says, Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, nor were thankful, now listen, and became futile in their thoughts. You know, when we're not thankful, our thoughts go crazy. We, we, we begin, we, we, we lose track of what is really important. We lose track of what is truth when we are not thankful. And it says, it goes on and it says, and their foolish hearts are darkened. 
Literally, we get to the point where we do not even understand right from wrong. In fact, we get to an, we will end up in a society that believes there is no really true anything that is an absolute. There's no real right or wrong. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God tells the children of Israel how he's going to bless them, how they're going to live in beautiful houses and eat bread without scarcity. And he says, and you'll lack no good thing. He says, but then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. He said, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power, the giftedness, the ability, the ingenuity, the connections, the favor to get wealth. You know, we think it's us. We think we look at where we are in life and we tend to judge and say, look, I'm here because of my giftedness. It's in Habakkuk chapter two, where it says, behold the proud. His heart is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Listen, a very simple definition of faith is when you're leaning on God. You are leaning in on God. You are trusting God. But you know, the proud, they aren't trusting God. They believe that everything that they have and where they are in life is a result of their own doing, their own giftedness. But God says, look, I'm the one who gave you that gift. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul has left him there. It's the largest church in the world at the time. Most scholars put it at 100,000, some at, a, at over 100,000. And Paul writes Timothy, very prosperous city. And uh, he says, Timothy, I, I want you to talk to your rich people. And, and, and I know you don't think you're rich, but trust me, you, you are. If you live in America, you, you're rich. You're rich. He says, command those who are rich. Now, listen, if, if, if you just had a platform and a lot of influence, and you could talk to rich people. Do you have something you'd like to say to them? You know, you, you, like, uh, you should never, you should always, you know, you need to remember. In, in fact, I, I'd like you to uh, find somebody right now, take 30 seconds and tell them what we ought to tell rich people, would you? Find somebody, just tell them. What, what would you like to tell rich people? Right? You know, some rich people do a good job of being rich. Some people don't. Most of us do not be a, do a good job of being rich. But what would you want to tell them? Do, always do this. Never do that. Don't forget. Don't forget. Well, well, well Paul says, tells Timothy, he said, got some things here I want you to tell the rich people. We're just going to look at a couple of them here. He said, first of all, he said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to think that it's their own doing that's got them where they are, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. So he says, first of all, don't be trout. And he says, don't trust in riches. And literally what it means is don't lean into, don't lean into, don't put your trust there. All right. So uh, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions. You don't, you don't need to answer them out loud. But this, this might help us see if we're leaning in to riches. Which, which would uh, cause more anxiety in your heart? Hearing that there is no God or hearing that there is no money in your bank account? You know, if, if, if you're trusting money and you hear there's no God, you're like, oh, no big deal. 
You know, those four churches and pastors are out of business, but I'm fine. I'm, I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting in money. Second question would be, uh, when you have the money, is it difficult to write the check? Is it difficult to write the check to give when you have the money? Because you're, you're thinking, well, what if? What, what if I lose my job? What if the economy goes upside down? What if this happens? What if that happens? You know, when we're leaning in on finances instead of leaning in on God, that's where we go. We, we think it's us and we put our trust in that. But it's, it's not a, I, I think God in heaven looks down at, uh, well, well, let me, how many of you have ever seen like a 16-year-old a kid in a Porsche convertible all right, with the music cranking, and he's sitting there, and he's being so cool. And, and, and you see him, and you don't think, oh, what a responsible young person. He must have worked really hard and diligent and saved his money. And No, what you think is, your daddy or your mama gave you that car, and you are not the hot stuff you think you are. I think God in heaven looks down at us sometimes, and, and he's like, I cannot believe that they think that that's them because I'm the one who blessed them. I'm the one that gave them that gift. I'm the one who put them there. I, I'm the one that gave them that favor and that ingenuity and that ability. And we're round and round like, look at me. I'm something else. All right. All right. Now concerning your soul, you're the one who needs to protect your soul. In, in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, it's Psalms 119, verse 25. This is a verse you've probably read, but it never registered. How many know there's some of those verses you just kind of read over them? Listen to this. My soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. Now, here's what this means in real practical terms. It means that your soul will naturally go towards earthly things. It will, it will naturally go the wrong direction. You, you, your soul is going to try to, it's going to be affected by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's going to, it's going to try to go in, in, Go in a direction that, that will lead you away from God and not towards God. So the Bible says to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And, and so often we're just like, you know, God deliver me, God keep me from this. But the Bible says the responsibility is on you and me, right? And it is our soul. In Psalms 101, it says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. He said, you know, you, 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 you go to the wrong site on that computer and you're putting the wrong thing before your eyes. He said, that thing's going to cling to you. It's going to cling. It will just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. So what we need to do is we need to prepare our souls. And one of the things that you do, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need to feed our soul. Literally, the Bible is food for your soul. 
And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul said, I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection, at least when I preach to others, I myself might become disqualified. Now, what he's saying, he's saying, I discipline my body. In Isaiah 58, he's talking about fasting. I think that's the most unpopular subject in the church today. But in Isaiah 58, he says, isn't this the day that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul, to afflict his soul? You know, there's days when we just need to get away from all of the influence of the world. You know, the number one thing your body wants is food. The number one thing your soul wants is entertainment. And the, when you afflict your, your soul, you're saying, you know what? I'm going to get away from that, that constant negative news that's coming out there. I'm going to get away from Facebook. I'm going to get away from social media. And I, I am going to simply focus on God. Focus on God. Now, now, literally what that does, it causes your soul to rise up, your spirit to rise up and to take authority over your flesh. Now, we're talking about having a healthy soul. And I, I want to read a, a, a verse of, in uh, Hebrews. And, and this verse, to me, as a pastor, is one of the most scary verses in the whole Bible. It says, obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account. And let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. Now, what that says to me as a pastor is that I'm supposed to watch out for your soul. Now, I told you nobody else is responsible. Nobody else can make the decision for you. But as your pastor, my responsibilities are to pray for you, number one, and secondly, to give you, to, to, to feed you spiritually, all right, to make sure that you're getting the full counsel of God. Paul said, and I have told you everything God wants you to know. How many know there's some unpopular subjects? But as a pastor, I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, did you give them the information that they needed? Did you feed them? That's my responsibility. But in, in uh, Hebrews 10, 25, listen, and I'm preaching to the choir. You're here in the middle of an ice storm. But it says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the custom of some, but exhorting one another so much more as the day approaches, as the return of Jesus gets closer. You know, one of the things that's going to feed your soul is being in church, worshiping, and serving. Those, that feeds your soul. But what happens so often is, is like we find all sorts of other things, and, and uh, we, we go off in a different direction, and our soul suffers as a, as a result of some of the choices that we make. Now, my, this is my number three. Don't give anything in exchange for your soul. Jesus said this, Mark 8. He said, in what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In exchange for your soul. You see, you can do things that will bring health and that will restore your soul, that will cause you to have a prosperous soul. But you can do other things that will literally cause your soul to go bankrupt, to cause your soul to go in the wrong direction. It will, it will take it down a, a, a path towards weakness and infirmity. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Least there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright. 
Now notice it says any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of bread he sold his birthright. He sold the blessing of, of, of the family. But he's, he, he came in. He was hungry. His brothers got some, some uh, lentil stew. And he says, feed me. And he said, for, your, for the birthright, I'll feed you. And he sold it. But it says that he was a fornicator and profane person. Uh, the rabbinical tradition says that that day that he had committed adultery, got caught, and had a fight, and had killed a man. The Bible called him a fornicator, a profane person. You know, you, you, you can exchange your soul for food, for illicit sex, for entertainment, for sports, for hobbies, for money. When, when you put things in a prior, position of priority in your life over your soul, when you're not caring for your soul and you're doing other things, you literally, you are exchanging your soul. And there's just things you can't delegate. Can't, you can't delegate prayer. You cannot delegate time in the Word of God, feeding your soul. You cannot delegate going and worshiping in church. Those are things you can't delegate. There is no place in God that you will ever become so mature that you don't need to spend time with God every day and spend time in the Word of God every day until something on the inside of you is exploding. There's just no level of Christianity where daily time with God is not needed. There's no level in Christianity where we don't need to be in church because it's going to restore. That's one of the ways God restores your soul. Now, let me close with this. It's one of those verses, again, that we read over. And, and a lot of times it doesn't register. It's in Proverbs 12, verse 27. It says, a lazy man doesn't roast what he takes in hunting. But diligence is a man's precious possession. Diligence is a man or woman's precious possession. We could even say it like this. Diligence is your soul's precious possession because diligence is a soul issue. And when we're talking about diligence, really what we would probably say to say would be discipline, discipline. So often people want to change their life, but they don't realize to change their life, they need to change their habits. See, you don't change, but people who, with prosperous souls don't do things people with unprosperous souls don't do. But they do things every day that people with unprosperous souls do every month or every three weeks. Now, if, uh, if I have a piece of cheesecake once a month, or every two or three weeks. How many of you know it's not a big deal? How many of you know that if I have a piece of cheesecake every day, it's going to be a big deal? Right? See? And, and it's not what you do every two or three weeks or once a month that will change your life. It is what you do every day 
that's going to change your life. Now, I'm not a prophet. Don't claim to be. But if I could just watch you for 48 hours, just 48 hours, just watch you, just see everything you do, I could predict your future. And I'd probably be 99% correct. Because the secret to your future is hidden in your daily routine. Where you're going to go in life is hidden in your daily routine. Now, if, if well, let me, let me give you a verse here out of, out of Daniel. Now, Daniel is literally, he's a, he, he has been taken captive by the Babylonians and, and he has risen politically to a place of great prominence in the Babylonian Empire. And his enemies recognize, look, he's just doing everything right. So if we want to get him, it's got, we, we've got to get him by, by the way he worships his God. So they go to the king and they say, king, we want to make a law that nobody can pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And they, the king signed, you know, he gets suckered in, he signs the, in the law. So when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room with his window open towards Jerusalem. And he kneeled down on his knees three times that day. And prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Listen, what made Daniel great was not some outward ability that he had. What made Daniel great was the fact that three times every day since he was a young person, he prayed every single day day. That made him great. That, that, that's what restored his soul. That's what brought prosperity to his soul. And uh, it's not what you do every other week or every three weeks or every month that's going to make the difference. It's, what, it's the habits that you form, that you put in your life. And so let me just give you three that you need to have. Three habits you need to have. First one, is spend time every day in God's Word. Spend time every day in His Word. It will feed your soul. It will help to restore your soul. Number two, Daniel's habit right here. Daniel, he prayed three times every day. If you would just take and pray one time every single day, and have spent quality time with God every day, it will restore your soul. And your soul will begin to prosper. And then that last habit, I want to take this one from Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, it says, And he was in Nazareth, his hometown, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was. You know what Jesus did? He made a solid habit of being in church. In Hebrews 10, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the custom or the tradition of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. We, we, should, we should be more committed than we have ever been to gathering together, worshiping together, studying the Word of God together, praying together, encouraging each other than we have ever been. Have the habit of reading the Word every day, of praying every day, 
and be in church every single week. You say, wow. You know, but my friend said, called me up and said, what do we, hey, let's do this on Sunday. And you say, yeah, right after church. That ought to be your, if I say that, right after church. No matter what it is, just right after church. We do it. Yeah, we just, now we're not saying we aren't going to do it. We're just going to do it right after church because we've prioritized it. We've prioritized it. When you change what you do daily, you change your life. You change your life. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You're here today, but you're not where you should be with God. You've drifted away, or you don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says, we have written you these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. Think about it. The Bible says you're not supposed to die and find out if you go to heaven. You're supposed to know today that you're forgiven, right with God, on your way to heaven. And if you're not sure, you're not where you should be. Or if you're away from God, you're not where you should be. And if you're that person who says, you know, I've been wanting to get right with God, I'm going to do it. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. I'm going to count to three in just a second moment. When I say three, please lift your hand. We're going to pray together, and God's going to meet you right here in this place. But as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying, you're saying, God, I know I'm not where I need to be with you, and I know I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying this to God. You're saying, God, today I'm receiving Jesus by faith. He will come into my heart. He will blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to have peace in my heart. And I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three. Just lift your hand up. Pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. And that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else. Include me, Pastor. All right. Would everybody please stand? Would you look at me? Would you take one hand and place it over your heart? Lift your other hand towards heaven. And we're going to pray with those that just lifted their hand. I want you to make these words your own, but just speak them out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sin. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.